there's some really funny moments in the film uh, where Christian goes to a group that just believes that the more time you spend naked in company, the better. One with nature. So <laughs> when when we asked them what's the best time to do an interview, they said, oh, we'll just come on Friday afternoon. We have our naked yoga followed by naked ping pong. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and I love to hear from you, my listeners. Please leave me a comment on ZestfulAging.com. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. She was also a guest on Zestful Aging. It's off of her CD, Buffalo Motel, and you can find out more about her on judybanker.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side as usual. So let's begin. We have a wonderful interview for you today. We're going to be speaking with Talia Thibon, who is an award-winning documentary director and producer working in both the U.S. and Europe. Over the years, her work has taken her to four continents, from uh, Boko Haram territory in Nigeria to the slums of Karachi, from gang-controlled neighborhoods in Honduras to Siberia and to the corridors of the White House. She's documented war refugees, trafficked women, Guantanamo detainees, Wall Street traders, drug economies, mass shooting survivors, and even daredevil ice swimmers. Last year, Talia was nominated for two International Documentary Association Awards for The Sky and Ground, which is on PBS and Amazon, and for Best, Document for Best Documentary, and the docu-series Amanpour, Sex and Love Around the World, which is running on Netflix. And now she's working on her next documentary feature film about the legacy of World War II in the Balkans and a scripted drama series about the refugee crisis. Welcome to the show, Talia. Great to be here. So let's, uh, let's just say uh, before we start, things are very unusual for all of us right now. Uh, you're in London right now, and I'm wondering how life has been for you in the last couple of weeks before we start talking about your work. Very, very strange. So I, I um, came back from uh, the US a couple weeks ago, where we just started hearing about um, the potential sort of spread of, of, of this virus to the rest of the world from China. And, and I think it was sort of in the back of, of all our minds. But for the creative community, there's this sort of idea that you want to do something with it, but you're not quite sure. And um, a lot of people had projects. This is a time, the early spring is a time where a lot of projects are starting to move again after slow, um, quieter win winter month uh, in terms of funding, in terms of ideas, in terms of collaborations. And everything was moving so fast in, 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 mm -hmm. in an opposite direction um, and everything just shut down. So from one day, we sort of like, is this going to affect us? The next day, everything just stopped. Closed down. And yeah, and, and the, every project that I know of, every idea that I've been talking about, everything that I've been working on has been sort of deep freeze uh, for the last couple of weeks. So very, very strange times. And, and you know, I'm one of thousands in, in um, the, the film and the screen industries. Um, and and um, it's quite worrying, actually, because we, we really don't know 
when anything is going to change, how long we're going to be like this. And once it changes, what would life look like? Um, so, you know, a lot of things that seem really important. And I, I deal with documentaries that cover sort of contemporary social issues, um, things that seemed really important two months ago <laughs> or six months ago would sort of, uh, I think, get pushed to uh, the bottom of the agenda when when life resumes and we, we have no idea when that's going to happen. That's that's a really interesting point. And I was thinking about this whole idea of relevance, right? I mean, you are dealing with profound social issues. But now, you know, and I think about that in terms of podcasting, too, you know, mm -hmm. where does it go on the list of priorities? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that what's really hard when you're working on screen related industries and, and and we're now in this situation where in most of the the west and i just I just saw um earlier not to uh, date this but india has now also imposed um, the curfew so mm -hmm. um in most of the world we can say people cannot move freely cannot go out and about so the idea of going outside and filming and seeing how lives are lived where life actually um life is retreating um to the private spaces and the personal spaces mm -hmm. uh, is making this this idea of trying to do something with this very very strange. And I've been sort of the last few days um, bouncing ideas with with friends and and people in the industry. My partner, who's an actor, and it, it's really really strange because you you're trying to figure out how you have to document this moment and you have to make sure that we remember what it was like, but it's very tricky <laughs> because not a lot is going on. Oh, it's such a strange paradox. It's the most important thing in, you know, and maybe in our generation mm -hmm. or yet you can't access it. And as a, as a documentary filmmaker, it, it must be such a, a strange position. Very strange position. And we are, we're just sitting and, and when between uh, being forced to deal with our garden and um, online exercises, uh, we are trying to, to keep the creative juices going. So we, we've mm -hmm. been discussing ideas and trying to figure out how to collaborate with people who are in the mm -hmm. same situation where we're sort of each contributing our, our bit, um, trying to turn some of it to um, fictionalized reality um as in as in rather than f straight documentary some some sort of a uh um mixed um genre thing but mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very it's very very strange and it it's really frustrating also to be honest it's Yes, I can imagine. I I was looking at some of the posts on Facebook saying, you know, stop telling me to learn a new language or new, learn a new skill because things are just too weird and I'm too anxious. Yeah, my, my partner is part of a group of actors that they've decided to sort of keep themselves going by learning some Shakespeare sonnets. And oh, oh, <laughs> within that's... a day, a couple of people said, mm -hmm. I just cannot focus on this right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. It really shows people's character, right? How they, how they either, well, how they're dealing with it, how they're engaging or how they're disengaging. It kind of yeah. really illustrates our uh, individual personality. It's very testing. Yeah, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And so you're in a flat in London right now? Yeah, in our mm -hmm. in our house, which has a nice garden, uh, which means that we um, get a bit more air, fresh air <laughs> than, mm -hmm. than than others. So we're very lucky that way. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that you're doing to keep your mental health. Um, yes, we've <laughs> been we've been we've been we we set up a, a full agenda, a little bit like mm -hmm. the way you deal with kids. Yes, um, we we make sure that we start the day together with um, a movement class called Gaga. So ah. we are we're doing that at seven a.m. Um, online with another five six hundred people from all over the world, which is great oh, and a great way lovely. to start the day. Um, and then we uh, try to take a quick walk around the neighborhood before um, we get we get stopped. Um, we are still allowed to do this. Uh, make a little breakfast, and then we try to really spend some time on our creative um, issues and try to work out some ideas alone together. Um, talk a little bit about it. Just trying to really make sure also that 
the anxiety that is in the air is not taking over our lives. So we, we mm-hmm. try to also, um, like I said, exercise. We are we uh, moved to a house which has a garden with a great potential. Mm, um, and this perfect. is the time to take over. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah, the garden is calling you. Lovely. So you're, I think what you're saying, Talia, is you're being very intentional about how you spend your day. Exactly. Yeah, we sort of may, I mean, it's very easy and especially, again, dealing with um, kind of current issues in, in my, my my nature is is what I do also for a living. So I, I'm curious about what's going on. I want to learn more and I want to read more and I want to get more information. What's going on in India and how are things, I'm originally from Israel, so how are things back at home and um, mm-hmm. how are friends in another time zone doing? And in a way, kind of try to keep that under control and sort of creating also some space that is not just consumed by this weirdness is, uh, I feel quite healthy for us, for me. That sounds, that sounds very impressive. Do you think about some of the, the people that you have studied and worked with over in the world um, over the years, are you thinking about any in particular and how they may be affected by the pandemic? Are there any groups that? Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say that um, a, a big chunk of my time in the last uh, few years have been uh, preoccupied by working on refugee issues and, and documenting refugees in different parts mm-hmm. of the world. Um, I got quite, my, my film Sky and Ground covers um, one family of three generations and I got quite attached to them. Um, so so even though we, we've been, what was it, like two, three years almost since um, we finished filming, not since we finished the film, but um, we're still quite close. And, and being displaced and then having to deal with this on top of it, it seems to me a huge challenge. So I'm quite, you know, I try to keep up with them on WhatsApp. One of them is pregnant. Um, try to hear how, what are they worried about? It's 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 hard to be in a different, it's one thing to be in your comfort zone mm. and dealing with this mm-hmm. un, uncharted territory, but it's, I think, tripling the anxiety when you're not at home and you're sort of in a temporary status in another country where the mm-hmm. language you don't have it down exactly so you, you can't understand every every uh speech and every um interview and the news you can completely get what what, what is going on so i'm quite sure i'm thinking a lot about them i had also um sky and ground uh, screened a few weeks ago here in london we're still screening it um especially in, in one of the things i like in front of groups of uh, asylum seekers and refugees mm-hmm. and um it was a charity but the charity invited a lot of refugees and i've been keeping in touch and, and it seems like they're more anxious mm. than many of us and i i think one of the reasons is, is this sort of idea of like being displaced and not not being in your comfort zone to begin with and then having this situation on top of that which is very very strange so um on one hand i'm thinking oh they've seen everything but but it doesn't work like that uh, it's just uh, so uh. those are the groups that i'm sort of thinking about i'm also thinking about elderly people which seem to be sort of the most vulnerable in in this current crisis but also in some ways um and looks like some this deci- difficult decision are going to be mm-hmm. made in some places where like they, their lives seem to be, yeah, not not considered as important as others. Mm-hmm. So that that's a, a really hard thought to to bear. So the ages, I mean, you're talking about marginalized society, uh, people, groups of marginalized yeah. people becoming more marginalized when there's less resources. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So the idea that some of us are complaining that we're we have to stay inside on our couch with our Netflix and um, you know freezer full of food and not be able to go out and whatever go to the pub. You're talking about people who have been displaced, who may not have running water to wash their hands, who may not speak the language and. Um, just dealing with trauma on top of trauma. 
Exactly. And in this sort of sense, I think that the hardest thing for all of us humans is is the unknown. No one knows mm-hmm. how long we're going to have to stay like this, even if it means watching Netflix and um, defrosting some stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not a comfortable place to be. So I think to, to pile that on top of uncertainty about mm-hmm. where you are and what's coming up for you anyways... Um, where, where home is not exactly home that that yeah. is a really really huge burden I, 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 I don't know how you know how people who've been through all the stuff that they've been through how they can sleep in on with this on top it's hard mm-hmm. you're right I mean they'll that trauma will leave a footprint uh, on their brains whatever happens for them that might be you know an improvement or better or relocation or whatever that's something that just doesn't disappear yeah do you want to talk a, a little bit about uh, the documentary sky and ground how you got interested in it and and what what you saw sure um i was in new york um working i started working on another project actually um about the efforts to um bring an end to polio around the world the disease um and and the company i was uh, working on um the polio film at started tossing ideas and i i sort of my heart was really <laughs> looking in my heart i look for what's really happening and what's really relevant and important to for us to think about and know and um this was 2016 and the refugee crisis um in syria uh spilling over to europe was just sort of beginning and you started seeing on screens those images of people mm-hmm. just walking through europe hundreds mm. and thousands of people just walking I, I i call it the tsunami of people mm. um coming through and um i really wanted to do something about it i also um coming from a jewish background mm-hmm. um and european jewish background i just immediately sort of thought about my family or parts of my family who after the war were doing just the same and how you know, history, it, our memories are so short and it just history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, I had the feeling that something needs to be done in terms of documenting. And there were all these ideas that were tossed um, at, at, at the sort of uh, brain brainstorm meeting. And I just thought what I really wanted to do is, and that's the way I normally work, is I focus on a small story, on something, sort of the micro to tell a bigger story. So while we saw these images of thousands of people just walking all over, um, we couldn't really, we didn't know who they were, mm-hmm. um, what they left at home, what did their house look like, um, who is waiting for them? Is anyone waiting for them? Are they walking together? Did they leave someone behind? All those kind of questions. And mm-hmm. I thought that the best way of bringing that reality of being displaced of being um without a home is to find a story one story where i can sort of zoom in on and really stick stick with um and i ended up going to some refugee camps um i speak a bit of arabic but i took with me um, a kurdish translator and an arabic translator and we just sort of went without a crew Mm -hmm. Um, and i said let's go you know you take this side, I take that side. Let's talk to people. And that's how we, um, we came across a story. We had some, some leads um, through Facebook and reading posts from different places. And in one refugee camp, um, I met Guevara, who is the main character of the film. He was at a time, I think, 26, 7. Um, and he was the sort of middle generation of a three-generation family that arrived from uh, Aleppo in Syria after Mm -hmm. being on the road. Um, So I think they left in January officially, but it took them quite a while. They, they, I met them in about April. So they, they left um, a moment before the borders closed, um, not realizing this was coming. So by the time they got to the edge of Europe, the borders were officially closed and mm. every decision they had to make had to bear in mind that they're doing it illegally 
and they can get caught, they can get arrested, as they were, uh, and they can get sent back. So uh, when they agreed to let me, which took some, some persuasion, when they agreed to let me join in on the journey, when they decided to actually make make the trip to, um, make the journey to Germany, Berlin, mm-hmm. I just got the crew. <laughs> we started walking with them. So um, the next few months after that were not continuously, but sort of in and out, um, walking with them uh, most of the way. Walking with them to Berlin. Yeah. Can you even try to describe what, what that is? <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't even know what to say about that. What, uh, what experiences stand out most in your mind? What are the most memorable parts of that? I mean, what, what I quite like in the film was that, and in this family, <laughs> because when you're in a strange kind of way of putting it, but in a way you sort of, you do have to cast your, your documentary. You have to figure out who mm. you're focusing on. And I met a lot of people with great, amazing, unbelievable stories along the way and in the refugee camps. And I think that what I really liked about this family, not only that it was three generations. So you had the nine-year-old girl, mm-hmm. but you also had grandma. <laughs> who had to be taken into account when you're talking about crossing borders, walking, um, and, you know, sleeping with no roof or even a tent um, under, uh, basically under the skies. Um, what I really liked about them was that they actually just seemed to be really determined to keep some normalcy. Um, mm. And in some ways, the relationships between them reminded me some of my own family dynamics, the bit of bickering, the bit of teasing, mm-hmm. um, the bit of like, wait, why is she, why is she carrying that? Why am I carrying more? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who's going to make lunch? Who's going to do the dishes? But the, all of that in the middle of a refugee camp or in the middle of the road while they are hiding from potential police or um, military forces that always can always t- catch them and, and send them back. So I think one of the actual things that's to, for me, um, stood out for me was the fact that they were so normal um, mm-hmm. despite the circumstances and determined to keep that. So um, wherever they could, they sort of sat down and they kind of prepared a meal with whatever they mm-hmm. had. <laughs> um, they washed their clothes in the river um, and, you know, sat there until everything dried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, you know, really kind of try to keep the, the 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 great love support the 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 ones who struggled and uh, not not to to do too much um, spoiler alerts but um, the grandmother wasn't the one struggling most um, mm-hmm. and and they were kind of carrying each other with that sort of very very strong family bond hello zesties I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine, but I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, It's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance, and it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. 
And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K.com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at ZestfulAging.com. I really am their biggest fan. And so how do you deal with your own privilege in being able to, if you want to, go to Berlin and feel safe and and go to a cafe and write on your laptop or whatever while feeling so, it sounds like, so invested in, in these people's lives? It was really, really tricky. And it was also tricky with them because how do you explain to the nine-year-old who's about to kind of figure out which rock she can lie next to Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm just going to jump, I'm going to walk back, find our car, jump mm-hmm. in the car and drive mm-hmm. to the next village to stay in a hotel, which is very often what we did. Or that I can just, while they're trying to cross a border illegally, right? Um, I will just give them, I gave them cameras, so some of this was shot by them. Um, I will let them film that part on their own. And I will cross the border showing my passport. How is it that I get to do this and they don't? So it wasn't just for me. It was just starting from the sort of very daily conflict of dealing with that, um, with your subject. Because I, I, you know, my full firm belief is (laughs) we're all the same. Why do Mm -hmm. I get this privilege? Yes. Um, And very often, I mean, I find that when you, especially in documentaries, um, it's a kind of, it's a line of work where it's very, very, very hard to just go like, okay, it's six o'clock. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're going to wrap here. Um, you take it with you everywhere you go. And I remember working on that one and being sort of so um, involved that just, and, and the breaks in between or um, when I went back to editing, just things didn't seem important enough or the world didn't seem to understand what so many other people are going through. So mm-hmm. you just go, you know, take the subway in New York and then you get off here and you're going to buy your coffee because you prefer yes. it with that much milk and that oh, kind of milk. Gosh. And then there are people who are just sort of, you know, sleeping under the stars. They're not really sure if the guy mm-hmm. who just uh, took the last bit of their money will take them to safety or just disappear with it. Um, with the second option, more likely, um, if they'll ever get to see relatives who are waiting for them on the other side, if they will get sent back home to a war um, zone. So it's it's mm-hmm. a really strange dynamic, and when you're when you're working on these things, you're so involved that it's mm-hmm. it's very hard sometimes to just um, you know turn on turn off the switch and go back to to life as as nothing. Which I'm sure you wouldn't choose to do. You sound like you have great empathy and your heart was really involved. You were so deeply uh, that there was love for them. Yeah, I I mean, we still refer to each other. I call them my Syrian family. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you do that? How do you make peace with sort of how the arbitrary nature of privilege that... Um, you know, you are able to be in Manhattan and get your favorite coffee knowing the plight of these. I mean, how how does that work? I think for me, um, and it it has to do again with the Sky Ground, um, people ask me sort of, why didn't you help? 
why didn't you put them in your car? All those questions. And it sort of connects to this. I see my role um, as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the work I do, the, the, the stories I choose to tell, I hope are also serving a purpose, opening um, another world to people who normally don't get connected to those worlds. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I also like to work on the micro. So um, rather than seeing what's on in the headlines, um, going to see the story that is on page nine that sort of continues from that um, first page of the newspaper headline. And I, I think that that makes it slightly easier to live with it. Um, mm-hmm. I am very invested, very involved, and I really live the stories that I tell. But I also understand where I fit within the picture. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I tell the story. You know, I, I wouldn't, I cannot be in a position where I advise them what to do mm-hmm. or sort of feel so much of their pain that I sort of take it on me. I have to also mm. maintain some objectivity and some a tiny bit of distance if I can. Yes. Um, so I can actually do better service telling their story. So I see. I see. So you, your role is to be the best storyteller you can be and sharing this. Exactly. I see. And so I would think that with your Syrian family, it would be quite a bit easier to become attached and to feel this deep empathy than perhaps some of the other subjects like uh, in Honduras with the gangs or in Guantanamo with the detainees. How does it work when uh, you're you're studying and you are filming and learning about people who do um criminal activity or violence yeah i mean it's it's really interesting because um learning i mean honduras was was uh, both sides of trafficking to learn about that and it was quite interesting because um you first meet the sort of the victims of it who are um women who got trafficked and ended up in really bad situations and sort of got kind of um, um, cheated into getting trafficked, not even completely aware of what was going on. Um, But then you meet the other side, which is the traffickers. And in some ways, it's this fascination um, with how people become like that, how Mm -hmm. they cannot see that they're dealing, especially something like human trafficking, how, how they cannot see that they're dealing with people who are just like them. And it becomes, for me, again, um, I retreat to this idea that I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So it's the curiosity, it's the questions that we all just want to know. How does how does one become a human trafficker? And at what point does he not see this, this 19-year-old girl as his sister, mm-hmm. but as someone he can make money off? It's an object, yeah, that yeah. they're becoming objectified. Yeah, and when it comes to, again, when it comes to um, drug economies or, um, you know, and, and some of the people we met in, in, in Africa, I think you try to, I mean, I, I, I don't take a position. I just try to tell those stories. And I always find that if you just listen to what they have to tell you. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I made a film for a series called Drugs, Inc. Um, about... Um, the, the sort of drug economy, which means the different layers of drugs that and how they're being handled in Colorado. And I interviewed a 13-year-old, pretty tough, pretty scary um, drug dealer <laughs> um, who was dealing with like cocaine on the kind of um, big criminal level. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just fascinated by how does a 13-year-old get to even start thinking that way of themselves as, you know, growing up, what it's like to grow up to be that. What's the background? Mm -hmm. What, what, what does she want to do if she, if she wasn't doing that? Um, So I, I just kind of, I think I I find myself, maybe it's a, it's a way of protecting myself from um, getting too deep into that is sort of helping, 
using myself as a sort of vehicle mm-hmm. um, for them to tell their stories because you would probably not meet them um, on the streets of New York or on the streets of uh, other places. I'm quite attracted to stories that are less told to um, subcultures, to mm-hmm. groups that, that are kind of existing on the on the sides and margins the of, fringes. of society. Yeah. And so what did you learn? I What do you take away from people who, like this 13-year-old or the human traffickers, what have you concluded about how they are able to get to a place where they're using humans for profit regardless of the harm involved? Hmm. I, I think that in, in a certain way, uh, we all tell ourselves stories about who we are, why we do this, just like I, I was just saying what I did. Some people do see it as, as, as a surviving survival instinct, you know, the 13-year-old that I met. When you got deeper into it, she was she was stuck. She was stuck. She got into it and she could get out um, and a sort of a way of kind of clinging to some association and affiliation because otherwise she was completely on her own in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you you kind of agree to do things for the bigger guys and you end up in that. Um, the I, I remember talking to this guy in, in Honduras and it turned out that he was trafficked himself. So you go like, I can't. you were trafficked and then you became... Mm-hmm. So I think and on some level, some people just tell themselves stories about why they need to do this and how mm-hmm. this is their only option. And, and for some people at that moment in time where I talk to them, that might be the only option for them to 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 exist. But it is a, a, a an interesting sort of um, I get I guess I guess it's 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 interesting also to just hear what they tell themselves and how they got there. And you you know, I never go investigative to try and figure out if the 13 year old was telling me the exact truth. But I feel like I connect enough with and I don't judge mm-hmm. um, with with the characters um, that I document to be able to build with them enough trust to to do get from them what they feel is their story. Yeah, it sounds like you would be a fantastic psychotherapist because you're, <laughs> you've got this curiosity and you have this space to hear everything. And you act, you know, I'm using some of the lingo here, but sort of as a container mm. as, okay, tell me your story. I can hear it. and um, And they sense that. Have you read up on trauma and and sort of uh, look for ways to help you understand how a 13-year-old gets to this place? Is that a helpful, like, um, piece of information for you to understand that there's like a clinical aspect? Um, it, it It is really helpful. And, and occasionally, I do get to sort of the background. I mean, when, when not that that one necessarily, but for instance, dealing with refugees, and I've done it a few times. Um, mm-hmm. w- this whole psychology of the displaced, and mm-hmm. and and it's nice to have come like a full circle because um, there are a couple of uh, places in the UK who are using Sky and Ground um, as a way of training. Um, physicians and psychologists mm-hmm. um, who are going to be dealing with traumatized refugees mm-hmm. uh, as a way of getting them to understand what is the background and that these people are coming from. So it's nice to, to go for a circle. But I, I, lo- I, I really liked the idea of reading and trying to understand how this displacement, idea of displacement work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not the psychological term, but displacement, the physical displacement work in terms of psychological effect and, and how, what trauma, I was very curious and I still am. Um, the family that I documented had, at the time she was nine, she's now almost a teenager, um, granddaughter who was with them and she was always next to Guevara, who was the leader. She watched everything. She heard everything. She was threatened. She was taken into jail overnight. Okay. Um, how much of that do you retain? And, and, and she's now seeming to be 
the best assimilated of the family in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much, what's she going to be growing up to be like? How much of that is going to remain in her and, and what's she going it's going to do to her mm-hmm. as a what's the footprint what's the size exactly. of the footprint yes. exactly so i'm, I'm reminds, fascinated by this stuff yeah reminds me of uh bessel of andrew cook's book the body keeps the score mm. are you familiar with no that? you idea, would though. i think you would love it he's a psychiatrist i believe he's dutch uh-huh. and he uh he wrote this book that uh psychotherapists uh, use a lot and the thing that's so interesting about it is he shows the pet scans of people who have been traumatized so you can actually wow. see the changes in the brain and he consults to countries who have large refugee populations oh, wow. to so he can say this is what you can expect this is the pattern it's going to take this is what you need to do on a policy level to help these people become whole again. Wow. Body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. And it will have a lot of time to read now. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it reminds, it's sort of the, uh, your side of uh, it and my side, you know, yeah, it's a psychotherapy exactly. that I, um, to really understand that the brain changes. It's not just like, oh, this is a, a bad memory and I don't like it, but there are biological changes um, with vigilance. And, you know, it's, we're trained to be in fight and fl- or flight. And that really activates all kinds of systems in the, in the body that are, you know, it, it where there's wear and tear when you're always in that um, danger. I can mode. I can only imagine. I mean, if you you just kind of apply that to a sort of complete physical level, mm-hmm. you know, if if a, if a, if a runner is always sprinting and then doing long distance sprinting, exactly. <laughs> there will be some exactly all yeah. those parts that are supposed to be only turned on for an emergency and then turned off are always on. Wow! So I won't go into the whole book. You can read it for I yourself, for but it, I think you'll find it fascinating and maybe also helping. You know, when you approach these people, it sounds like you already do such a beautiful job. But like knowing that, oh, you know their brains are like this because of this. Yeah, I, I'd actually be curious to share it with, with um, at least one of them. Um, I'll have a, mm-hmm. a look for the book, but he, he, I think he can read enough English to, to understand mm-hmm. because he's curious about the experience now that he's been sort of trying to find himself, that he's the, the leader of the, the family and he calls himself Guevara. He's mm-hmm. now um, in his late 20s and he... Um, He's been in Berlin now for close to three years and he's trying to figure out where does he belong mm-hmm. and what to do with himself. He was an activist and quite a sort of militant activist, in the, in not, not in the sense of taking arms, but sort of quite mm-hmm. sort of willing to risk his life and, and, and you know, demonstrate and rally and document uh, in Aleppo. And then he led his three-generation family out to safety heroically um mm-hmm. and it's like and now what mm-hmm. and now what yeah oh my god and the now has been taking um taking a long time so he he we, we we talk quite often he's really trying to sort of figure out has something changed in him that he's just sort of like craving some sort of action where he becomes you know um important and leads oh, yeah. or is it some is it okay to enjoy normal life oh that's just yeah. so fascinating it's just, yeah, the, just identity the identity young questions. man in a new place yeah oh, yeah so goodness. he might be interested in that too so let me switch gears because mm-hmm. I think we could talk about this for <laughs> hours, yeah. every aspect, so fascinating. Let's talk about sex and love around the world uh, with Amanpour, Christiane Amanpour. What, what led you to, to look into this as a, as a subject and, and look at the material here? So um, the idea for the series was actually Christiane's. Um, mm-hmm. And she is, as I'm sure you and listeners know, a veteran, um, amazing uh, war reporter who mm-hmm. in the last few years has sort of taken this um, um, position of um, 
interviewing from the studio and i think that's something in her <laughs> she aged... took her son to the refugee camps she did that yeah yeah but she sort of is now an anchor interviewing mm -hmm. um world leaders asking very tough questions but i think something in her is still itching to be in the field and she um wanting to sort of another phase in her life and in her career she was looking for something else that she was quite interested in. And, and, and in a funny way, um, visiting refugee camps is what got her to think about this. Um, so that led to a whole series um, that we did for CNN and Netflix, which is still running, um, looking at how these concepts of sex, intimacy and love are being looked at in different cultures. Um, and we're still sort of... Uh, trying to see what's going to happen and if there will be series um, two. So I, um, I, I was brought um, on to the team. I was the first to be brought on to the team. So I sort of had my pick, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, being quite into into the the refugee issue, I thought it would be really interesting to look at a place like Berlin or Germany with the influx of more than a million refugees arriving over um, a little bit more than a year uh -huh. coming from very, very different cultures um, to the one that they encountered in Germany. How do those two cultures settle those issues of sex and intimacy and love and relationship? We're looking at um, the German culture, which is very open, very straightforward, um, very um, easy in some ways about about sex and intimacy and and the the expressions of um, and on the other hand you're, you're talking to people who are coming from Afghanistan where a woman very often had to ask her husband for permission to talk to someone else um, and could not get out without the husband's permission or without a man in her company not to mention choosing who is her partner what she wants to do with her life, um, how, what does she, 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 um, um, put, uh, what does she, what does she, where does she take her daughters to? So how, what I wanted to look at is how do those two cultures um, meet if they do? And um, where there is a clash or there's a point where you can learn more about, about each culture and, and whether there'll be some, uh, um, giving in and trade, maybe maybe even mm, trading territory. Mm -hmm. So it was still connected somehow to um, the refugee uh, story and the idea of displacement. And but the way um, I sort of tried to look at it is kind of have Christian journey through this new um, Germany and uh, getting to see some of the very very. There's some really funny moments in the film uh, where Christian goes to a group that just believes that the more time you spend naked in company, the better. <laughs> One with nature. So <laughs> when when we asked them what's the best time to do an interview, they said, oh, we'll just come on Friday afternoon. We have our <laughs> naked yoga followed by naked ping pong. <laughs> and... You know, Christian did not take off her shirt, but um, she does a fabulous, serious interview about this idea that you're more so comfortable with your body oh my that, that you're playing sports and you really focus on the sport. So um, they, that was one. Um, in another case, it was a whole studio that is dedicated to uh, uh, BDSM. And the, the relationship that the women working there have with their clients and how they view themselves and how in Germany it's actually completely legal. And, mm -hmm. and you can tell your neighbors that's what you do and no one blinks. Um, and then from there to, you know, not even a mile from there, inside Berlin, a refugee camp where a woman who arrived from Afghanistan, she was, I think, 23 and pregnant with her fifth. Um, mm. So she must have gotten pregnant in like in a, Germany. A, 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 and she had only girls. And how does she deal with, with 
you know, what's next door. You you can't stop uh. people from you, you can't stop your girls from seeing um the way people dress or undress in the parks. Um you you realize very quickly that these girls will have a very different world they're going to be brought into than than the the one their parents came from. And we had um it was an interview with, with the, 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 the young refugee and her mother in law because I wouldn't agree um that her husband would be part of it so he would not restrict her. So the agreement was that the mother in law would have to sit with her. So something uh-huh. so conservative about all these ideas and concepts and what what is love and how you know what do you how much of your feelings you are disclosing versus um a culture that is just you know i wanted there was a woman who was making online porn um and that was her thing and she was having these tinder competitions on who was having more sex i mean it was oh, sort of like the the, the most it could not be more extreme. Yeah, yeah. It could not be. And I wonder the pressure on parents, and I'm thinking particularly moms. I could be wrong about that. But, you know, how do you see your role now uh, living in a new country, in a new culture? How are you going to keep those ideals of your original, you know, culture? Is It's impossible, yeah, and and I mean, it, it, I think it's it's a source of anxiety for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. We had uh, one of the more interesting interviews we did along that journey was a sort of place where the two worlds met, and uh, she was amazing. She um, came to Germany about fifteen years ago, I think, if not longer, as a refugee from Afghanistan with her family, and at seventeen she sort of left her. Uh, home she was always sort of very non-traditional and and struggling with 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 the the the, the culture she came from and she became um one of germany's top models and mm. you know posing in a bikini and on mm. covers of magazines and sort of every every everything that is so opposed to the culture she came from where women mm. are covered and you know dignity mm. is if you are not showing your face and definitely not if you're um you know putting your workout on instagram for your hundred thousand followers um and, and she was fascinating she was exactly kind of in some ways for me the uh the hope because you could see that there is a way of finding you know a way to still respect where you came from, but do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's also sort of what the next generation will be looking at. Maybe not go to the extreme of putting mm-hmm. <laughs> putting your workout um, with your 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 uh, sports bra uh, on Instagram, but <laughs> but at least they'll know that they have options. You know, mm-hmm. I think that ever, yeah. Go ahead. Do you ever watch the Netflix series Patriot Act? With no. Hasan Minhaj, uh, well, he talks a lot about being what it's like to be an Indian. Uh, his parents immigrated, yeah. and he's Indian, and he talks about how strange it is to be born in California with these very traditional parents, and how how you navigate, how you have one foot in each world, and how they were very upset with him because he was covering the Indian elections, and he was being critical about it. And he showed a, a, a cut of him talking to his parents and his auntie and them saying, you just stick with, you know, talking about Indian <laughs> food. Nope, no more politics. No one wants to hear from you. And everyone thinks you're starting they're thinking you're white now and he's just (laughs) trying to you know he's just trying to uh, integrate all of these pieces and it's of course he's a very talented comedian and um you know he handled he talks about it so beautifully yeah i think Um, one one even a more inspiring or as inspiring story in in that one was um and maybe that's the hope actually um was a couple we met so unusual. Um, I chose to end the film with them. Um, he was a German widower in his sixties, and she was a Syrian refugee um, in her fifties. And she came on her own to uh, Germany, and she was at the refugee camp, and she felt she wanted to do something to give back. 
So she offered what she did back in, in Syria and Damascus, and that was teaching English. So she, you know, the volunteers who came help the refugees got something back, um, which was English classes. And that's where Klaus um, set his eyes on her. Mm. Um, and she's a traditional Muslim woman. Um, and he is a practicing Catholic. <laughs> Uh, he's in his 60s she's in her 50s they've both mm-hmm. had you know lives before mm-hmm. um, they ended up falling in love and getting married <laughs> and they they sat there with Christian and they talked about openly about how they expressed their affection how they how is sex what oh. what is different about sex with someone from from a different culture uh, it was great and that's I think what gives us all kind of hope that you know as many differences as we have and, and I, I look at so many subcultures and different groups there's a lot that is uniting us that we're we're all actually the same underneath mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a wonderful message for the times we are in right now yeah, remember humanity. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We all we all are susceptible to viruses and we need each other to help prevent more illness around the around the world. Yeah. yeah. Tell you where can people learn more about these fascinating uh documentary films that you're making. So, um Sky and Ground, as you said, is um, currently, I don't know if PBS is still making it available on uh, PBS via the World Channel. I think they mm-hmm. might still. Otherwise, it's on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, Sex and Love Around the World is on Netflix. Uh, and my website for updates and, and learning mm-hmm. whether there are um, screenings or talks, uh, what I'm doing next, um, as much as I can reveal, is um, mm-hmm. um, www. Mm-hmm. dot talia tibon which is t-a-l-y-a t-i-b-b-o-n dot com mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wonderful well i know what i'm doing tonight uh i cannot wait to see these documentaries oh uh, amazing they, yeah they uh i can't wait uh, i can't wait to see the the naked ping pong yoga combination <laughs> It's and how Christian deals with that? Oh my goodness! That they, is they all demanded at the end a whole a whole like group picture taken with Christian. Oh uh, my goodness! <laughs> this is so. Oh God, that'll that'll take our mind off the virus exactly. for a few minutes. That's so beautiful. If you need a distraction. Talia, thank you so much for Thanks talking for having about me. this. Such important subjects and and what it's like to be uh, a caring and involved uh, documentary maker, and how you know this whole idea about how do you do it with your full heart and yet not lose yourself. That's important. Huh? <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Stay safe and sane. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different 
confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.